Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome. Welcome to this latest edition of the Bill Press Pod with a very special guest today, Congressman Mark Pocan, who represents the 2nd Congressional District of Wisconsin, the key swing state of Wisconsin, but not only that, who is also co-chair of the powerful Progressive Caucus of the House of Representatives, bigger and stronger now than ever, now that Democrats control the House and so many new progressives have been elected to Congress. I sat down with a congressman in his office in the Longworth office building shortly after Congress returned to Washington from a long break. Congressman, it's good to see you. Good to see you. So um, I think all of us may be happy that uh, progressives, that John Bolton is no longer in the White House in such an important position. But this is the third national security advisor in two and a half years for Donald Trump. What does that tell you about this White House? First of all, this president doesn't take advice, right? So no matter what, uh, while this is a very important position, he's never really going to listen to the person unless they just say exactly what he wants to hear. So the fact that uh, Bolton didn't agree with him, uh, most likely on what was going on with the Taliban and trying to do negotiations on the week of September 11th, uh, is why he's out the door. And I'm sure they've had a few other disagreements. But this president, you know, it's just impossible when he thinks he's the only person who makes, you know, has good uh, advice, it's hard to have anyone in that role. And it's another case of, I do my hiring by watching Fox News. Yeah, I know. (laughs) If Sean Handy is the next national security advisor, we'll know what happened. But, uh, you know, I, I once did Fox and Friends in the morning, and the way they pitched it to us was, this is the hour that Donald Trump watches. Like, they actually pitch that to advertisers and to people to be on the show. That's a problem. (laughs) That is pretty scary. Well, Donald Trump's big TV moment recently was um, monitoring and reporting, minute by minute almost, on the progress of Hurricane Dorian uh, heading to the coast. Of course, he managed to get in two rounds of golf while he was monitoring. Well, you know, clearly was doing it very closely. (laughs) But... He also took the, we know now, the National Weather Service map, yeah. took his Sharpie, and uh, he wasn't happy, I guess, that it was not hitting Alabama, so he actually mo- <laughs> changed the map to show that it was heading to Alabama and tweeted out to the people of Alabama, watch out, here it comes. Yeah. I mean, have we ever seen anything like that? Saturday Night Live is really pissed because they were going to do that as a spoof and then he did it in real life before they could get it out there. This is crazy. I mean, we just we actually just printed um, presidential fact maker um, markers, sharpies, we're giving away his premiums to people uh, because it's so ridiculous. Like the fact that, and then he went for five days and kept bringing it up because he can't admit he's wrong even when he clearly 
is so obviously wrong. You know, when he wanted to buy Greenland, he was offended that Denmark wouldn't sell it to him, so he refused to meet with their leader. I mean, th this is a person who has huge uh, problems <laughs> at emotional level and intellectual level, and yet he's the president. And this was followed up with the Commerce Secretary issuing a directive to the National Weather Service uh, and NOAA to, that they should never, ever again contradict or disagree with the President of the United States, not even when it comes to a life-or-death situation like a hurricane. Yeah, that, that was on someone's bingo card as agencies you could never politicize. <laughs> he found a way to do. And I have a weather, actually a former uh, weather person in my district who's just totally outraged because they know how important it is to have real science and real data coming out of agency like NOAA. And then you've got his people, again, having even those agencies abuse that power. So, you know, our real problem at some point is how do you raise that bar again for whoever's president from whatever political party that we have it operate in a respectful, lawful way because this president has taken us to so many uh, holes, deep, deep holes in behavior. It's going to be hard to fix. Right. That That's the fear, I think, that some people have, Congressman, I want to ask you, which is that have we... Or are we at risk of accepting the abnormal as normal? And how do we get it back? Well, and especially if we don't have a real impeachment investigation, if we don't really go out there and try to get the witnesses, not just on what's on the Mueller report, but what Jerry Nadler and Judiciary is actually looking at, the emoluments clause, uh, you know, other areas where we think the president's broken the law, it's not a dumb Republican thing. It's a whether or not you believe in the institution of, of the presidency and how we uh, make sure that any future president doesn't act like this again. If we don't, we've said, run for president and you are above the law, no matter what, period. And I don't think that's what any of us want, Democratic or Republican. But that's why we have to do more than we're doing. You go where I wanted to go next, which is, you just came back recently from, from this break. All the members of Congress did. Uh, do Democrats come back from this break raring to go to start impeachment hearings? Uh, yes. I mean, we saw just since, you know, Mr. Mueller testified right before we left, uh, I think 30-some people additional came out for impeachment investigation. I, I do think there's a bit of a semantical thing between inquiry and investigation. Um, we had this conversation today in the Progressive Caucus. They are essentially the same thing. Um, so the investigation is what they're voting on um, in judiciary to officially formally launch, uh, although they've been under that practice with Jerry Nadler up to this point for the last six weeks. Um, but, but we have to do that in order to get legal ways to compel witnesses to come to testify. Because as you know from the Mueller report, um, I would love to have Don McGahn come. And if he's going to be truthful and honest, he will tell you that Donald Trump clearly told him to fire uh, Robert Mueller. Now, he never used the word fire. He said he shouldn't be here. He's got to go. You know, every other term that everyone else in the real world understands. But we need Don McGahn to say that. And the fact that he won't come and be a witness right now because Donald Trump doesn't want him to be is why we've got to break that. So we need to do the formal investigation, which is, I think, officially the vote they're doing, although they've really been in that practice for the last six weeks. And then we need to get some of these witnesses to come, and we need to talk about this. And now with you know, the emoluments clause and what's going on both in Ireland and in Scotland. I mean, there's so many things. They even go beyond the Mueller report. We just have to get to the bottom. Of so you're saying you believe the House should start impeachment hearings on Donald Trump? We are. That's what judiciary is voting on tomorrow. Not just an inquiry. It's impeachment it's, hearing. It's 
impeachment investigation. So there's a bit of a semantical thing that drives me a little crazy because we were altered, told it was inquiry, right? Yes. And reporters keep saying That's why inquiry. Yeah. And what officially I've talked to, we had three or four people from the Judiciary Committee at our Progressive Caucus meeting today, and I asked that very question because one member answered it and it was confusing as mud. And I go, look, we're lost in semantics here. Are we in an inquiry or investigation? They go, well, there really isn't an inquiry. It's really an investigation. And we're formally voting to, to launch the investigation. So that is, I think, the place that you and I want to be at. Um, and that is how we get the courts to help us get witnesses. Are you, do you believe that Donald Trump has committed impeachable offenses? Oh, multiple. I mean, whether it be some of the obstruction from the Mueller uh, case, I think even more so around profiting while being president. I think there's an awful lot that's going to come out of there. Uh, but that's part of why you have to be able to bring witnesses to Congress to make that compelling case, not just to the American people, but to the other people in Congress we need to vote with us. You have uh, referenced a couple of times, the profit, profiteering, if you will. Yeah. Um, the There are two instances recently yeah. that, were, that have been in the news. One is, and you referenced it, the uh, not just... Well, let's start with Mike Pence. Mm -hmm. So Mike Pence has meetings in Dublin. He's going to Ireland. And the president says, you stay at my place. Okay. It happens to be 183 yeah. miles away. Any doubt in your mind that Mike Pence stayed there because Donald Trump wanted him to stay there? Mike Pence was a very, very good boy. <laughs> and did exactly what he was supposed to, whether it was said or not. You know, you know what Donald Trump wants, right? We all know what Donald Trump wants. Donald Trump wants to be richer and get even more attention, right? Because he's a reality show star at heart. So we all know. So whether he said it directly to him or not, Mike Pence did that for a reason. What did, do we have any idea what it costs for Mike Pence to stay there and fly back and forth well, to Dublin on well, Air Force Two? And two? that's what we need to get more information, both that and the Scotland um, situation with his property there. The fact that we can't get that from the Department of Defense is wrong. We have to be able to get all those numbers. And I think you're going that's part of why these hearings are going to matter, why we're getting people to be witnesses. We need to have that information. The public deserves to know that. Uh, you reference the Scotland situation. That's the other one that's been in the news. So there's something new with um, members of the military yeah. flying on missions. Now the latest is that the Air Force, they, they stopped and didn't go to Ramstein Air Force Base or other places where they used to refuel. They go to this airport near Donald Trump's resort, and they overnight at Donald Trump's yeah. resort. Yeah. Again, just coincidental. No, again, I mean, we all know what this president first is a reality show star. Second, he's the head of the Trump Corporation. Third, he's this thing called president. That's how he thinks. That's how he operates. And uh, everyone knows it. So, you know, that's they know they're supposed to stay there. And, and this is why we have issues. That's why there's an emoluments clause going back so far. And, and he's violated so many things that are the norms of the presidency. Last year, Donald Trump reported $81 million uh, in income from the Trump Hotel alone here in Washington, D.C. Congressman, it's clear that Donald Trump is profiting from the presidency. He is yes. making money every time he goes to one of his properties. And even the attorney general is throwing a bash there, right? If, Everyone right. knows what they're supposed to How do. How can he get away with it? How can well, he, why isn't the emoluments clause, which none of us probably ever heard about before Donald right. Trump, why isn't uh, it being enforced? I think we need to... I'm a journalism major, and we we're always taught to write at eighth grade level, right? We need to bring it down to a level that the majority, the mass amount of people can understand. He's a crook, right? This is crooked behavior. And instead of talking about something as 
fine and interesting as an emoluments clause. I think we need to say this guy's breaking the law and making money that he's not supposed to. It's illegal to as the president. And I think we need to have more conversations. And what he just did by abusing the military, and then he's taking money, don't forget, away from the military overseas and in the United States to pay for the wall that Mexico is supposed to pay for, throw all these conversations in there, and we absolutely have to have these investigations. Right. The Congress uh, has, I've never been a member of Congress, but close enough to it, I believe, Congressman, the Constitution gives you, members of Congress, the power to appropriate funds. Yes. Correct? Correct. Not the executive. Yeah. The president has asked Congress to appropriate funds for his wall several times. Congress has not done so. In fact, we had a government shutdown it, over that issue. And, and, Bill, this is real important. Let me, when the Republicans were in control, when Paul Ryan was speaker and Mitch McConnell was the Senate leader and Donald Trump was president, they had the Republican trifecta. They also didn't fund the wall. I serve on the Appropriations Committee. The language explicitly said no money can go to any designs after March of 2017. That's when the design for the wall came out. So even they know. It's dumb to put money for this folly of a wall. I, I just want to, I think more people need to know that. It's not just the Democrats and I want to do it. The Republicans, when they were in control of everything, didn't put a nickel towards the wall. So for the president then to steal, take, steal yeah. money from the Pentagon to fund something the Congress has refused to fund, is that legal? Um, it is. Is that constitutional? There's some questions on that. Uh, we are actually having a caucus tomorrow to talk about how to deal with this uh, in the future. But right now, we're also trying to deal with it in the current. Like, what can we do? Whether it be a resolution of disapproval, can we try to not? He, he keeps saying we're going to backfill these programs. No, we're not. I mean, we can't do that. But can we take it away from maybe some areas that he does have control of funds? We're, we're actually having all these conversations right now. Right. Um, as Congress comes back, What's on Congress's agenda? What are the priority items after El Paso and after Dayton? Is there any opportunity to get something done on gun safety? Yeah, I would hope so, and I would hope so that we can do it before there's another mass shooting, which unfortunately seems to be the only thing that moves most members of Congress to at least give some momentary lip service. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Well, yeah. Uh, never have moments of action. Lots of moments of silence. No moments of action. But I, I do think that the background check uh, bill, you know, has like ninety percent public support. We know there's six Republican U.S. senators who support that. I think we can really build, uh, try to build some momentum on that. We're going to do more measures around guns. That right now they're going to take up the Judiciary Committee and be coming to the floor in the next this floor period and probably the next floor period. We're, we're not stopping uh, the pressure because we need to deal with something on this. When you're at, uh, I think, what did Jerry Nadler say today, a thousand times the rate of any other country for shootings, you can't blame it on mental illness. We don't have a thousand times the occurrence in the United States of any other country. Um, that's just not acceptable, you know, sideshow that the Republicans keep putting out there. We have to accept the problem is the guns and the access to guns, and we've got to do something about it. You can't let the NRA uh, really, and as you know, an offshoot of the Republican Party, you know, association of gun manufacturers, not gun owners, uh, continue to try to just make money off this issue when we have people dying on a regular basis. Until recently, at least, there were a lot of Democrats who were afraid of this issue because it might impact them negatively uh, for re-election. Uh, is that still the case? Do you find more Democrats willing to vote for strong gun safety measures. Absolutely. In fact, I would argue now uh, it's a... Excuse me if I may uh, 
interrupt just when pe if people hear that beep that in congressional offices you hear those yes. beeps often that there are I don't know what it means, but there are votes coming some or going. Some of it's some old uh, tradition. Some of it tells us when there's a vote or recess or okay. things like that. Just yeah. wanted to yeah. explain. I, I think, Back to the guns. Yeah. Democrats, I, are they afraid of this issue? Does this issue, will this issue, not do only think, help them? Are they voting the right way now in greater numbers? Uh, but even more important, um, we're now seeing it, it become an issue that if you aren't with us on these issues, it's a detriment to you, and not just for Democrats. I think for a lot of Republicans in swing districts. I mean, there's a reason you're seeing a lot of Republicans leaving, especially, again, in some of these moderate districts. One, that they know that they're probably not going to get the majority back, but two, they're just tired of not voting their conscience. And how can you, on a regular basis, represent gun manufacturers over the people who are getting shot in your districts? And in light of that, what do you make of Mitch McConnell's brave stand that I'm not going to do anything or allow any vote on gun any gun measure unless I know ahead of time that the president supports it and will sign the bill. Yeah, so he's the majority follower, not the majority leader, I guess, right? He's he's trying to, again, he's just afraid of whatever the president and the power the president has. So he's trying to defer it to the president. The president will take a phone call from the NRA and switch from saying we're going to do something to doing nothing. And uh, we have to put pressure on Republican senators. We have six already on the background check bill. Get a few more, and I think we can force a vote. But that's the work that has to happen. Congressman, we'll take a quick break. We're talking with uh, Congressman Mark Pocan, who's the chair, co-chair of the Progressive Caucus in the House of Representatives. How appropriate that our podcast today is brought to you by the most progressive of, of all the labor unions out there. I'm talking about the American Federation of Teachers, uh, led by the most progressive all of, of all of our labor leaders, in my humble opinion, uh, Randy Weingarten, uh, the Teachers of America, stronger than ever, very active in the 2020 campaign and also very active in state after state after state to get better wages for teachers. Not only that, better conditions uh, and smaller classroom sizes for America's students are making a big difference in America's classrooms every day. We salute them for their good work and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Congressman, another issue um, that um, hasn't gotten as much attention and people keep hoping that something might happen, action on climate change. Congress seems to be stuck on that issue, unable to move. Any yeah. glimmer of hope? Um, we, we printed some bumper stickers for my campaign last year that said, if the people lead, eventually the leaders will follow. <laughs> I really believe that. You know, people are way ahead on this. If you look at public opinion, they get that scientists have told us we may be past the break-even point of actually being able to, to keep the planet alive. Uh, and that means we have to act. And that's why things like the uh, Green New Deal get the attention they get. Um, because people know we need to do something more than we're doing. The, the problem, I think, as everyone knows, is Mitch McConnell uh, and President Trump aren't going to do anything. They're not going to stand up to the fossil fuel industry. Uh, they're not going to stand up to corporate polluters. So it's hard to see something happening with the current makeup of Congress. I do think that when you look at all the Democratic presidential candidates talking very seriously about this issue, and I think you know when you look at members of Congress who want to do more on this issue than I think so far we've taken a vote, um, to get back into the Paris Climate Agreement, but we actually have a special committee that Kathy Castor is uh, chairing about climate change, and we've got other committees dealing with it. Uh, we've got more we need to do and want to do, but we're going to need some changes of who's in charge of the Senate and who's in charge of the White House. Well, you mentioned the Green New Deal. What do you tell people, sometimes even among Democrats, you hear this argument, you know, we have to have an economic message, not an environmental message. We have to talk about jobs. We, ha- we can't talk about renewable energy or solar or wind? No, I mean, they're totally related, right? If you invest, we all want to invest in our infrastructure, but you can do it in a green, sustainable way, and that helps. Uh, I, I always look at, I was told, that I don't know where how true this is, but 98% of what we spend on energy in Wisconsin leaves Wisconsin. That includes gasoline, right, because we don't have mm-hmm. that here. But I know that we have wind production in Wisconsin. I know we have solar production. I have eight and a half kilowatts on my roof myself. I love to get a $7 bill for a month occasionally. Um, there's so many things that we can do that create jobs here in the United States. And you can, to make those things, to make those big windmill blades, those are good family supporting wages and that you can unionize, right? So I, I think it's all related, but unless we do something, we it's all going to be a conversation for naught about economics because we've got to do something to protect the planet. And I think they're totally related, and uh, we can't let anyone put a false equivalency out there. Let's talk about the Progressive Caucus. You are co-chair with uh, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal from uh, Washington State. What are your goals for the Progressive Caucus? Well, I got to tell you, we yesterday met with our exec committee, and there's a huge list of what's coming up in the next few months. But I think um, one of the big promises we made was around prescription drug prices, lower prescription drug prices. So we've been instrumental, I think, in trying to work with leadership to have the strongest possible bill. Uh, we want to deal with immigration in a way that not all the caucus always has been there. Back, back on prescription sure. drugs, if I can. Healthcare, right? Yeah. And that's one aspect healthcare, of healthcare. Yeah, one aspect. And, and as well as things like Medicare for All. I mean, it's our members who are leading that debate to make sure that every single person has coverage like 
virtually every other country, industrialized we, country. Uh, you, you talked about semantic problem earlier, Congressman. Yeah. There's a semantic problem around Medicare for all, too. When you say Medicare for all, what do you mean? You're talking Bernie Sanders or Kamala Harris? Yeah. So, you know, I think a little bit of that debate, I, 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 this is my opinion. This is not from my CPC that's, hat. That's why but we're here. I do think that sometimes we worry more about dotting I's and crossing T's on healthcare policy than understanding the big picture, which is uh, I got politifacted. As you know, people always are afraid to get politifacted. And I got one of my rare tree, trues or a rare true they give out <laughs> when um, I said we're the only industrialized country that doesn't have universal health care. And that's true. Um, now, there may be a different plan in Europe than there is Canada. But you know what? They have health care access in both places. I don't want to get lost on the dotting I's and crossing T's of policies, but the idea that everyone has access to healthcare in those countries is what we should be talking about as a value. Nancy Pelosi taught, taught us when we first came to Congress, uh, values unite, issues divide. And I really have taken that to heart. So I think we have to talk about it as a value. The Republicans have spent the last two and a half years trying to take away people's healthcare, take away pre-existing coverage, pre-existing condition coverage. Um, we need to talk about that. That's the alternative, what they're trying to do, uh, continue to have profits uh, for insurance companies and others, rather than making sure that no matter who you are, you have access to health care. So in a way, I thought that last debate that I was at in Detroit, that second night, was a little bit unfortunate because we, I think, spent more time on dotting I's and crossing T's than we did on the value that every single person should have access. Now, that's a little more aggressive than some of the candidates are talking about, but I don't want to get lost on the exact plan, but we do have to make sure everyone's got health insurance. And that, I think, is the place we should be spending uh, our and time. And as you say, prescription drugs takes a... Uh, that's one of the biggest cost drug prices drivers, right, step. to healthcare. And it's one of the biggest cost drivers for healthcare. So that's why you want to address prescription drug prices. When, you know, um, if you have hepatitis C... Uh, the good news is there's literally a miracle cure. 95% of the people will be cured by it. The bad news is you have to take it for 90 days in a row. It's $1,000 a pill, and some insurance companies won't give you uh, access to it. Well, that's ridiculous. It's uh, virtually a cure for anyone with a disease, but the company that bought the company that came up with this, it wasn't their own money and research. They bought a company. Mm. In the first year alone, they paid for the company. The top five executives of this company uh, that, that bought uh, and made it a product, uh, their bonuses would have covered curing everyone of hep C in the United States, Canada, Great Britain, Australia, and one other country. I mean, this is the abuse of what we see, but that's what's driving our costs on healthcare, that and a few other things. So, you know, part of it is cost containment. There's a lot of things we gotta do, but the bottom line is, it doesn't matter who you are, you should have access to healthcare. The old model where if you actually were sick and you needed it and couldn't get it, that was profit insurance, right, for insurance companies. Thanks to the Affordable Care Act, we now understand if you have a pre-existing condition, you have access. If you're a woman, you're not paying more for health care than a man, uh, that you can stay on your parents' policy till you're 26. Those are all good things, but let's go farther. And I just think the Medicare model, to me, makes the most sense. It's a wildly popular program. That would be the best way to do it. But I'm not going to fight to the death over that. If someone else has a way to guarantee every single person through a single-payer system will have health care, I'm open to listen. So from the point of view of the Progressive Caucus, um, there are so many exciting new young progressives elected to Congress joining the progressives like yeah. yourself who are already here. Uh, there's still some um, conservative or moderate Democrats uh, in the House who may not be where we would like to see them on, on the public policy issues. Is it okay for progressives to challenge incumbent 
members of Congress who are not progressive? Yeah, thanks for that easy question, Bill. <laughs> um, so I, the, the way I look at it is, um, you know, if someone is just off of dead center from the Democrats, are they a conservative? No, I don't think, you know, that test should be applied to every single person. But there are some of our members who, if you don't support marriage equality and you don't support a, a woman's ability to have make her decisions over her own body, you're pretty far out of the mainstream of our party. And I think that maybe we should have that conversation about whether or not you still serve the purpose to your district that you should as a Democrat. So I am not um, 100% against it, but I, I sometimes I, I find people just want to challenge anyone because they've been here too long or any right. other reason. And I think you should have a stronger reason to take on someone. Um, you know, Maybe you're trying to make them vote more progressive. And I understand that that could be a valid argument, but um, I do think that you know we have a few folks that I wish would realize that that D is supposed to mean something uh, when it follows their name. At this time, the last count, there were still maybe twenty candidates running for president in twenty twenty. Who's your candidate, Congressman? Yeah, I don't have a candidate yet. Um, I've uh, buying a little time. Uh, by the time it gets to Wisconsin, I assume there'll be three or four people in early April when we have our primary. Um, you know, ideologically, I'm you know closest to probably people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Um, you know, I have great respect for people like Beto O'Rourke. I consider a friend. You know, I tell everyone back home when they ask about candidates, if you if you were selecting your neighbor or your brother-in-law, you would select Beto because he would probably shovel your walk before you got up because that's <laughs> the kind of guy he is. You know, I mean, I, I've served with Tim Ryan on appropriations. A couple more of them came in my class in Congress. So there's a lot of people I know and I like. So I'm trying not to uh, piss off 19 of them <laughs> in the meantime. But when it narrows down, I'll, I'm sure I'll get active. You did not mention Joe Biden. I didn't. No. Is he on your <laughs> list of people you'd be uh, happy to support? I'm, you know, anyone who comes to the Democratic primary, I will be enthusiastic about supporting it's Donald Trump. Um, but, you know, one of the nice things about primaries is you pick the people that your values are the closest to, that you think will bring out more voters so we can, you know, defeat Donald Trump. And I think one of the things that's important to me is people like uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders uh, and some others who are running uh, – can energize the some of the voters that we need to come out that support us on the issues but don't always traditionally come out. Uh, I saw a poll recently on millennial voters where, you know, again, Elizabeth Warren and um, Bernie Sanders and I forgot someone else were really good at bringing them out, but Joe Biden was at 6% tied with Andrew Yang. Hmm. And, you know, we need those voters to come out to ensure not only we defeat Donald Trump, but maybe we pick up some U.S. Senate seats. You and I had this conversation in 2016 about the message of the Democratic Party uh, and regretting that the Democratic Party wasn't out there with a more progressive issue, particularly in the heartland, mm -hmm. where we didn't do so well. Yeah. Do you see any difference in 2020 in the message that the Democratic candidates are putting out there? I mean, really, what a difference. All the candidates are talking about progressive policy right now, right? I mean, it's a huge victory. And I think um, we would all be remiss if we didn't recognize that had Bernie Sanders not run four years ago, we probably wouldn't be where we're at today. Um, because we're talking about a lot of the issues he talked about that now we've had four years to build support on. Um, but I, I, almost across the board, people are fighting. I mean, even on the fight on... You know, healthcare. It's different versions of Medicare for all. You know what? Good. We're saying Medicare for all. We understand that everyone should have coverage, period. We should embrace that as a win and uh, let's go from there. And Wisconsin. Yeah. Now, this is the key state, maybe, it may decide the whole thing. 
Um, you know what happened with Wisconsin the last time when Hillary didn't even even go there. Uh, nobody knows the political landscape in Wisconsin better than you. The new governor. So has yeah. Wisconsin turned the corner? We're going to do better in Wisconsin this time? What, what's your take? So our problem last time was turnout. We had about a 250,000 Democratic voter drop-off. We also had a photo ID law that probably, according to the university, probably impacted about 40,000 people, and Donald Trump won by 23,000. But we got to give people a reason to come out and vote. First of all, we have a guarantee this time the Democratic nominee is coming to Wisconsin because the convention's in Milwaukee. So <laughs> that's going to be different than last time. That's a good thing. Um, but uh, you know, when they talk about the 10 swing... I hope it's not the only time. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Trust me. I mean, they are coming back. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think... Wisconsin, uh, Donald Trump has had the biggest drop-off of any state he won, and a big part of it is the tariffs he's doing. Donald Trump doesn't really understand trade. He said the right things in 2016. He was going to bring jobs back. You know, on, on the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal, Hillary Clinton said, I don't support the TPP as currently written. Ooh, inspirational. <laughs> um, where, you know, when you said, I'm going to bring those jobs back, people are like, all right, we'll give them a try. But he hasn't done that. And now his war with China and other countries via Twitter on tariffs, our farmers are hurting uh, big time. Do they tell you that in Wisconsin? Do they know that they're hurting because of Donald Trump's Yeah, I just Trump's had the tariffs? Wisconsin Farmers Union in my office, about 15 farmers. And uh, they'll tell you how bad it is. I mean, it's been awful. In fact, one of them, national leaders, uh, has been a farm, farm Years Union uh, spokesperson out of Minnesota talking about how bad uh, what the tariffs are doing. So absolutely. And, and that's part of the message that's getting out there. So you've had, you know, we, we now have articles about um, suicides on dairy farms, uh, about losing record numbers of uh, farms. I mean, this is now what's in the press in Wisconsin. So that is not going to be good for Donald Trump. And uh, I, I think that we're in a position to take our state back, but not if we ignore it. If people don't come to Wisconsin like they need to, the candidate has to come more than once. We have to talk about agriculture issues and antitrust issues because that came up at our meeting and all the other things that real people talk about um, in Wisconsin. And if we do that, I think we'll be fine. So, Congressman, uh, the big secret that uh, I know and not many people know about you is that you are a magician. You perform, actually, up-close magic, yep. right away that's called. I don't know. Close-up. Close-up <laughs> magic. magic, right. Um, uh, some people are feeling not so good about our chances in 2020 or not so good about the way the country is today. Is there any magic trick up your sleeve you can, <laughs> you can pull to make people feel better? The only medium, I don't know if there is a worse medium for magic than radio. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little difficult, but um, I, you know, from looking, and I have done politics in Wisconsin for 25 plus years. I ran our campaign operation when we took the majority in the Wisconsin Assembly back in 2008. Um, I really feel that we are in a position that Donald Trump, if we continue to be unified and don't, you know, pick apart whoever the nominee is for every issue they're not with us on. Instead, we think about every issue we are with them on um, and we give people a real motivation to come out and vote. So we have to give them a reason. So let's talk about issues. Mm -hmm. Progressive issues, I think, is where, you know, from every poll we see people are at. Let's talk about those issues. Give them a reason to come out. Um, we're going to be in good place so we can keep the magic for entertainment do the hard work knocking on doors and talking to voters about making sure everyone has health care about dealing with climate change uh you know those issues and uh i think we're gonna be right. we thank you congressman for that upbeat message <laughs> uh thanks for your time today as well uh and thank you all for listening to the bill press podcast that's it for today uh don't forget that we are up anywhere you go to your 
uh, to find your favorite podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn. Uh, please check it out and please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. And if you really want to put, put a big smile on our face, um, give us a big five-star rating. That helps us grow the podcast. Again, thank you, Congressman. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.